Before we start this week's Financial Crime Weekly, just the usual thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the podcast cover art. Let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. It's been an interesting week with the usual mix of sanctions, fraud, money laundering and a little bit of market abuse, just for good measure. Starting with Russian sanctions this week. In the UK, not a lot to say really, except that there has been another licence issued by the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, OFSI. The licence allows parties to wind down their transactions, close out positions, repay loans, withdraw deposits and close accounts. And that person, relevant institution, Rossbank, to which the sanctions relate, may carry out any activity reasonably necessary rather, to effect this closing of positions. That's it for the UK. Beyond the UK, a bit more interesting. US and Russia have been busy. <laughs> so let's crack on. We'll start with the U.S. Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, which has announced sanctions against some elites. The sanctions, which relate to property, entity ownership, and so on, are aimed at some fairly significant individuals, including Andrei Grigorovich Guriev, an associate of Putin, uh, who also loses his yacht, the Alpha Nero, and also sanctioned is Gureyev's son, Andrei Andreevich Gureyev, whose operations in the Russian financial services sector have raised him to the attention of OFAC. Also notably on the list is Alina Kabieva, the former gymnast and rumoured girlfriend of Putin. The sanctions against Putin's girlfriend highlight an issue with the approach to sanctioning individuals and the lack of global coordination. Now, you may remember this because we covered it in an earlier edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, but Kabieva was sanctioned by the UK in May of this year, along with a whole host of Putin's mates. But she's only just been sanctioned by the US. It would also be remembered, I suppose, that Canada sanctioned Alexander Lebedev in May, but awaits sanction by other jurisdictions. Lebedev, you'll recall, is an ex-KGB officer who owned uh, newspaper interests in the United Kingdom, and who can count among his friendship group the outgoing UK Prime Minister. Now he, Lebedev, has avoided sanction by the UK and US, despite being closely allied to Putin and his regime. Um, to be frank, I'm rather left wondering about the levels of evidence required and what would be sufficient to trigger sanctions against individuals consistently across the globe. The problem, it seems to me, is that without a coordinated approach, it's always likely to be the case that sanctions will be avoided by careful manoeuvring from in those individuals who are concerned to avoid them. Anyway, now, from time to time, news reaches of sanctions from Russia. You may recall that Russia sanctioned a great number of US politicians earlier this year, well, the Russian Federation has announced sanctions against some prominent British politicians and former politicians. Notable among the latest series of Russian sanctions are the Labour Party leader Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the Scottish National, Parliament, uh, pa uh, Scottish National Party in the 
Westminster Parliament, Ian Blackford, and the former British Prime Minister, David Cameron. Also on the list is the former Labour Party MP, and also, probably wise on the list, NATO former NATO Secretary General George Robertson. Now, the sanctions, which also affect a large number of prominent journalists and TV presenters, ban them from entering the Russian Federation. Now, I'm guessing that they were all not, at that precise moment, planning any holiday anywhere in Russia, but at least they know where they stand now. That's it for sanctions. We'll leave that for this week. Move on to money laundering. As far as the UK is concerned this week, the big news was the fact that the Register of Overseas Entities came into force on the 1st of August, Monday of this week. Am I going to say anything about it? No, I'm not going to say anything about it because I've already released a special edition podcast that was released on Monday of this week to coincide with the coming into force of the Register. So have a listen to that if you want to do that. Now, more money laundering woes for NatWest Group, only this time from the Isle of Man Financial Services Authority. It will be recalled that NatWest Group was fined £260 five million pounds almost 265 million pounds at Southwark Crown Court in December 2021 for three offenses under regulation 45-1 of the money laundering regulations 2007 which were the regulations which were in force at the time of the relevant offense now the offenses for which they were fined in December related to operational weaknesses between 2012 and 2016 in failing adequately to monitor the accounts of a UK incorporated customer. Well, the financial services regulator for the Isle of Man has referred NatWest Group's offshore banking arm to its uh, enforcement division following a recent money laundering and counter-terrorist financing controls inspection. Now, let's leave NatWest to their troubles, their woes and turn to some of the efforts of the Gambling Commission to see that its house stays in order with an announcement that they have, or it has fined, Leo Vegas, which runs various gambling websites. The fine of over a million pounds, 1.32 million, relates to various money laundering shortcomings uh, as well as failure of social responsibilities. Now, I'm not concerned with the failures of social responsibilities. That's for someone else to talk about. But insofar as it's money laundering, failures were concerned. First of all, it set the triggers for anti-money laundering reviews at too high or or at unrealistic levels, effectively to manage money laundering and terrorist financing risk. Secondly, they relied too heavily on effective threshold triggers and inadequate information regarding how much a customer should be allowed to spend based on their income or wealth or any other risk factor. And thirdly, and finally, there were inappropriate controls uh, um, allowed uh, significant levels of gambling spend to take place within a short space of time without knowing anything about customers' financial situation. One more story on money laundering this week. Financial Action Task Force does this fairly regularly, but it has again updated its consolidated assessment ratings and they're available on the FATF website. Now, a bit of market abuse. 
This name will ring a few bells with some people. He's been working in the city for a number of years, but Sir Christopher Ghent, or Gent, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, the banker and former CEO of Vodafone, has been fined £80,000 pursuant to Section 123 of the Financial Services and Markets Act 2000. The fine was levied by the Financial Conduct Authority for unlawful disclosure of inside information. The final notice issued by the FCA provides that in October 2018, while chairman of Convertec Group PLC, Ghent, quotes, disclosed inside information otherwise than in the normal exercise of his employment, profession or duties. The disclosures were made to a senior individual at one of Convertec's major shareholders and then shortly afterwards to a senior individual at another of Convertec's major shareholders. The authority considers that Sir Christopher's actions amount to unlawful disclosure of inside information under Article 10 and in breach of Article 14c of the European Union Market Abuse Regulation and that he therefore committed market abuse. The FCA considered that the disclosure was negligent and the final notice continues that having received relevant training on EU uh, market abuse regulation and based on his own considerable experience and position, Sir Christopher should have realised that the information he disclosed constituted or may have constituted inside information and that it was not in the normal exercise of his employment, profession or duties selectively to disclose it. Sir Christopher failed properly to apply his mind to the specific question of what information, if any, he might properly disclose as well as when, in what manner and to whom, and he failed to obtain clear formal advice regarding this question before making the disclosures. I think I'll leave that story there. Won't make any comment on that one. Let's move on to look at some fraud stories this week. Few bits and pieces, principally concerned with announcements of successful prosecutions, but another couple of interesting bits of activity in the prevention and detection stakes. Now, we'll start with uh, news from the Serious Fraud Office, which has made a couple of announcements this week. It's announced the conviction of David Amies, who masterminded a fraudulent investment scheme which convinced around 8,000 individuals to invest in a Caribbean hotel and resort development venture. He'll be sentenced in September. The SFO has also announced that Dr. Gerald Martin, Gerald Martin Smith has been found in contempt of court for breaching a restraint order which had been ordered against him under the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002. He was sentenced in eight, uh, to eight months in prison, suspended for 18 months with instruction to keep his nose clean. Now, an interesting story set against the cost of living crisis. The pensions regulator has announced a new strategy to help prevent individuals being scammed out of their pension by fraudsters. Now, one attractive means of protecting against the rising cost of living is to access pension savings at an earlier stage to cover the costs of things which cannot be met by the regularly earned wage. The pensions regulator has reacted to this with a proactive strategy to coordinate intelligence use in order to disrupt the scammers. 
The strategy follows an assessment of the threat which was undertaken by the pensions regulator alongside the National Fraud Intelligence Bureau. I have to say it's good to see a proactive approach to combating scammers rather than one which provides an ineffectual response after the event. While it doesn't necessarily mean that all scams will be stopped before they start, it does at least recognise that the regulatory and crime-fighting agencies are aware of new and emerging threats criminals pose as the circumstances of society shift. And that can only be a good, king, a good thing, and I'm quite encouraged by that, actually. Allied to that, something we've trailed in previous episodes of the Financial Crime Weekly, and it's the announcement this week that the UK government has launched the Public Sector Fraud Authority. The authority will take its first aim at benefits fraud before looking more strategically to other areas of government. It will be recalled that the government has come in for stinging criticism. We've covered this in previous weeks of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast in the management of the various COVID support schemes which have been implemented since the start of the pandemic. The scale of fraud associated with those schemes has been dramatic, measured in billions, not merely in millions. So the announcement of a public sector fraud authority to deal with things such as that is a good thing. But one is rather left thinking that actually the combating of COVID fraud might at least be the secondary target after they finished with benefits fraud, because the fraud from COVID schemes greatly exceeds the 180 million planned target for benefits fraud. In terms of its approach to combating fraud, it will make use of counter fraud and data intelligence personnel, which again we've raised before, as well as the latest analytical tools to allow public money to be protected from fraudsters. The authority will be supported in its work by an advisory panel of export experts drawn from relevant industry, the chair of which will be appointed this coming uh, September. That's it for this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast. Nice short one this week. You can subscribe if you want, wherever you get your podcasts. And all being well, you'll hear from me again next week.